I tell you, I, I just feel so privileged to be able to serve at a church where there's so much care and love for children. As you look around the, uh, the church this morning, you'll see, obviously, the, the set here, but the entire building decorated. And this is the result of, I'm sure, hundreds of hours by volunteers and many of those on our summer block party leadership team who've been meeting regularly since I think about January and uh, planning this. And uh, as Marie said at the very beginning of the service, we anticipate that perhaps 600 children will be here this week. And as she noted, uh, perhaps half of them who are not normally a part of our church. Over the years, uh, if you have attended for a while, you've noticed when we have baptisms, that quite a number of the children being baptized will uh, look back to summer block party as the time when they embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. And uh, that's what we hope will happen this week, that many kids will learn about his love, learn about his salvation, and come to know him. So thank you again to all of you who have put so much into this already. I want to let you know, if you're new with us, that the bulletin you got on the way in has a little perforated strip that you can easily tear off. It's entitled, Hey, I'm Here. We always appreciate it if you fill that out, and you can drop that in the basket, and then we'll come around at the end of the service. One of my favorite sources of news is a podcast by the uh, World News Group called The World and Everything in It. And they uh, shared a story uh, just a few weeks ago. This is true, a true story about a woman in the uh, Yunnan uh, province of China. woman's name was Su Yun. And Su Yun wanted to get a puppy, and she thought that she was buying a um, Tibetan Mastiff puppy. Now, if you've ever seen one of these dogs, like the one on the screen, they're, they're very cute when they're small, a little more intimidating when they're large, and they get to be very, very large, and looks like a little lion in the picture you see on the screen. So Su Yun uh, wanted a Tibetan Mastiff puppy, and she got her puppy, and she noticed it had an incredibly big appetite and gained a lot of weight really quickly, ultimately reaching about 250 pounds. But what took her aback most was the day when her Tibetan Mastiff puppy began walking around on its hind legs. And you may have guessed it. It wasn't a dog at all. It turns out that it was a rare Asiatic black bear that she had taken home. True story. This is not the first time that has happened in that province of China. In March, Chinese media reported that a man in that same province again found what he thought was a puppy wandering in the woods, took it home, began to feed and raise it, and it turned out to be something very different, one of these um, Asiatic black bear cubs. Looked like puppies, cute little puppies. Uh, turned out to be something very, very different over time and something even dangerous. Similarly, there are things that often look like God-honoring religion, but they turn out to be something quite different, so much so that the Apostle Paul would give strong warning 
about belief systems that veer from the gospel of Jesus Christ and actually become counterfeit gospels. In fact, in one of his writings, the Apostle Paul warns the church at Galatia about anything purporting to be the gospel that was not the gospel that he had brought them and taught them. This morning, we're looking at the books of First and Second Timothy. Books of First and Second Timothy were written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was kind of his young son in the faith, someone Paul the Apostle himself discipled and mentored. Now, if you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, I think it's important to understand a little bit about who he was. The Apostle Paul was the person God chose to give us a very large part of our New Testament. And that part, which most clearly puts into a, a systematic form what we call the gospel. The Old Testament gives us uh, the revelation of God's holiness and points to the coming Messiah, Jesus. The gospels record Jesus in his life and ministry, but it's these writings of the Apostle Paul, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the letters to the Corinthians, and and others that really lay out for us a clear understanding of how Jesus secured our salvation, how that salvation is received, and how we walk it out and live it out. God called this man to set the, the uh, message of the gospel in order so that we could understand it. This morning, I'd like to read two short sections from the letters to uh, Timothy, First, from 1 Timothy chapter 4, you'll see it on the screen. The Apostle Paul writes these words. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. It's pretty clear Paul feels strongly about this danger. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he warns about a different type of problem, a different type of error. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And notice these words, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. I think we could call these two errors that the Apostle Paul is pointing out in these two passages, on the one hand, legalism, and on the other hand, lawlessness. I'd like to look at each of these this morning and uh, what it means in the writings of Paul, and how these things can be avoided. Starting with legalism, it's a departure from what the Apostle Paul refers to as the faith. 
The Spirit expressly says in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. He's referring to people who had come into the early Christian church who appeared to believe believers, appeared to be followers of Jesus, but later showed they were not true followers when they departed and began to set forth this different type of teaching. Now, when the Apostle Paul uses the words, the faith, he's talking about something very specifically. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus, how Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, died on a cross to secure our salvation, paid the price for the judgment of our sins, how he was raised from the dead, how we receive what we did and become his followers. That's what he means when he's talking about the faith. He's not using it like we often use in our culture when we tell somebody, oh, just keep the faith. And we mean, well, just have a positive outlook. Just trust that things will get, get better. That's not what he's saying at all when he f- refers to the faith. Later, he'll tell Timothy to be trained in the words of the faith. And later, he'll talk about the fact that he himself is soon to die when he says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. Legalism is a departure from the true gospel, which he calls the faith. The legalist adds requirements to salvation by grace through faith. And as one, of that, one example of that, the Apostle Paul says, these people, the ones who, who'd crept into the church about which he's writing to Timothy, they forbid marriage on one hand and require abstinence from certain foods that God created. In biblical times, there was often a debate over what type of foods a person could eat or not eat. Could you eat meat that was sold in the meat market outside of a temple that had been offered in sacrifice to the temple, to the God of the temple? Could could a Christian buy that? Could a Christian eat that? Some said Christians had to be vegetarians and eat, eat no meat at all. These folks also seemingly forbid people to get married, married if they really wanted to be true believers. Now, There's nothing wrong with singleness with what the Apostle Paul is saying. Don't make a law out of it. There's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian, but what the Apostle Paul is saying, don't make a law out of it. Don't tell people you've got to do this if you really want to be saved. Yes, Jesus is important. It's good to embrace what he did on the cross. Yes, but if you really want to go to heaven, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to not get married. You've got to abstain from meat and be a vegetarian. Apostle Paul is warning that these things, in his words, are doctrines of demons. Strong language. Think about it. Something that diminishes the beauty and the significance and the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross. Someone who says, Jesus' sacrifice is not enough. You've got to follow my rules, our rules. Legalism is rule-based Christianity. And I put Christianity in quotes because it's not real Christianity. It's a counterfeit. It's a substitute. It's a church that teaches, yes, you've got to receive Jesus by faith, but you've got to do things our way. It's rule-based Christianity. I think all of us probably struggle a little bit with a legalistic type of thinking thinking, yeah, I believe I'm a Christian. I believe I've put my trust in Jesus. But I feel like God will love me more 
if I'll serve in this way, if I give in this way, if I, if I do more for him. Sometimes we go through life with an idea that God's got one of those old sets of scales and balances, and if good works tip the scales, we're in. If bad works tip the scales, uh, we're out. And it all comes from a lack of comprehension of the fullness and the sufficiency of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, people always say, well, aren't good works important? Absolutely, they are. But we must get the order order right. In God's kingdom, it's the grace of God that always comes first. Good works follow as an expression of gratitude. For example, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, it's by grace that you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one should boast. But then he went on to write, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. The good works are important, but they follow the reception of the grace of God, and they're an expression of our gratitude. Grace always goes first. When we've embraced what Jesus has done, the degree to which we really comprehend the fact the Son of God came to this earth to bring us to himself through what he did on the cross, the degree to which we comprehend that, it compels us to serve him by grace and love and gratitude. We serve God because he first served us. We love him because he first loved us. Legalism, though, is a rule-based Christianity. In legalism, the focus is on being self-righteous. But in lawlessness, there's a different focus, and it's on self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. Lawlessness springs from love of self and pleasure over love for God. The Apostle Paul is warning that people like this have an outward form of religion, But their God is themselves. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The goal of the lawless person is self and the the God of the lawless person is self rather than the goal of the lawless person is pleasure. The lawless may appear to be religious or righteous, but their lives deny the power of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says this about people who, who appear to be Christians outwardly, but their lives completely deny the gospel. He says they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. I'm so concerned about this in our country because I think there are just a huge number of nominal Christians in the United States of America. That is Christians in name only. If they were filling out a survey that asked for religious preference, they would check the box Christian. But yet in their lives, there's not even a hint of evidence that they're following Jesus. The Apostle Paul gives the strongest warning about this. Lawlessness is, quote, Christianity without growth in holiness. It's a counterfeit. It's not real Christian faith because whenever Jesus has been received as Lord, He begins a work in a person's life so that over time that person is increasingly conformed to the likeness of Jesus. 
That, I think, is what holiness is. I think holiness is just likeness to Jesus Christ. But don't we still stumble in sin? I sure do. I think we all do. But over time, the Holy Spirit works in us to conform us to the image and likeness of Jesus. Legalism and lawlessness, two errors, two departures from what the Apostle Paul would call the faith. But the remedy for both errors, I think, is the same. And it's an understanding of and devotion to what the Apostle Paul calls the words of the faith. And he tells Timothy to put these things before the church. If you do this, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. The Apostle Paul, when he writes, sometimes uses this, um, these figures of speech that have to do with athletic training. And he talks about being trained in the words of the faith. How many of you here ran in the Rock 5K back in May? I would imagine a, a good many of you raising your hands. How many of you trained somewhat before you did that? Same number of people probably raising their hands. Training is good. Elsewhere, Paul will write to, to Timothy that bodily training is good. It has some benefit. But godliness, training in godliness, he will say, has greater benefit because it affects not only this life but the life to come. And he calls us to train ourselves in the words of the faith. What are the words of the faith? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he makes this more clear when he writes to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings are... The scripture. Timothy grew up in a home of faith. It, it seems from what we read in the book of Acts, Timothy's father was not a believer, but his mother and his grandmother were strong believers. And it seems that from childhood, they taught him the scriptures, what we would call the scriptures of the Old Testament, the sacred writings. They taught him about God. And the Apostle Paul is now reminding him again, go back to the sacred writings, the words of the faith. They're able to make you wise for salvation. This is the remedy for erroneous teaching, coming back to the words of truth, the words of the faith a greater comprehension of God's plan and the gospel protects us from legalism on one hand and lawlessness on the other. So I'd like to raise just a few questions for us to reflect upon as we think about these things. The first is this, is there anything that I'm trying to add to what Jesus did on the cross for me? Something I'm trying to add. Two or three years ago, Beth and I were down at the beach, and um, as one afternoon, I went down to the pool, condominium uh, place where we were staying. Not many people there. But um, there was one man there. He was sitting in a chair and a table. He had a little cooler there. And um, he, he was one of these guys. 
he, he just drank beer after beer after beer after beer after beer, just like it was water seemingly not uh, affected at all. And he was probably, I'm going to guess, maybe 200 pounds overweight. He was, he was big, 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 way overweight. And um, I, I saw him over there, and I thought, maybe the Lord will let me have a conversation with this guy and, and maybe share the gospel. And um, somehow we got started talking, and... Um, I asked him about himself, where he's from, what he did, and he told me about his vocation and all. Um, and this guy, Jack, I'll call him, he, uh, he was in real estate business. And um, he asked me what I did. And I, I'm a little reluctant to tell people sometimes, because sometimes when you tell them you're a pastor, they instantly tense up and feel like, oh, I used some bad words I shouldn't have said, this sort of thing. And I, I wanted him to, to be at ease and just have a good conversation with me. But when I said, told him, I'm, I'm a pastor, he got really excited. He said, boy, I've got some questions for you. And he started to ask me all these questions about um, the second coming of Christ and the end times. And in the water nearby watching us talk were, I believe it's his wife and his mother-in-law. And I learned that they were very strong in their church. And I, I knew a little bit about this uh, belief system they were part of that was very, very, very legalistic. And they kept looking over at us like, I wonder what that guy's talking about, you know, with my, my husband. But as our conversation went on, I, I tried to just explain to Jack the, the gospel of Jesus, how Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for our sins, how he provided for us to have eternal life. And he seemed to believe it. And he said, and I, as, as I talked to him about accepting Jesus, he said, I'm going to do that. And this was maybe midsummer. He said, I'm going to do that on November 1st. I had never heard anybody set a date like that. <laughs> I said, I hope nothing happens to you between now and November 1st. I didn't actually say that to him. I was per so perplexed by what he said. He said, November 1st is a Sunday, and that's a day I'm going to go to church and do this. He said, I have to set a goal for myself if I'm going to, to get somewhere. I've got to set a goal. And he said, I'm going to lose X amount, X number of pounds, and uh, be able to get back into a suit, and that's the day I'm going to go to church and do this. And I tried to explain you don't have to do this in a church. You don't have to lose 100 pounds. You don't have to wear a suit. We can pray this prayer right here if you truly believe, as you say you do, Jesus died on the cross. If you're willing to turn from your sin and become his follower, you can do this right now. But this legalism was so ingrained in this man's mind, he could not accept that. He felt he had to, do, had to do some things. He had to lose some weight. He had to change his life. He had to wear a suit. had to go to a certain type of church and do it there. It was sad. It was ingrained in his mind. Is there anything I'm trying to add to what Jesus did on the cross for me? Secondly, am I growing in my gratitude for the gospel? I find, having been a follower of Jesus for a good many years now, 
over three decades plus, that there is an increasing beauty in understanding more fully and in reflecting upon what Jesus, the Son of God, really did. And the awesomeness of the fact that the Son of God would do that for me. As I grow in faith, I'm more cognizant of my own sin, especially sins of attitude, thoughts. But it brings me to a greater gratitude for what Jesus has done. It doesn't drive me from God, it draws me to him. Am I growing in my gratitude for the gospel? Number three, is there anything I'm allowing in my life that's a contradiction to the gospel? Could be legalism. Could be this life of self-indulgent, pleasure-prioritizing lawlessness, loving pleasure and self more than loving God, having the appearance of religion but denying the Christian faith by, by the way I live. It's important to examine our lives, as the Apostle Paul told us elsewhere to do, because if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, our lives are sending a message. They're teaching somebody. If you're parents, they're definitely teaching your kids. The way we live is sending a message. It's teaching. I was um, in a church setting one time, and it was not here. I would not use this example if it, if it had been here. But people were praying in small groups, and I was close enough to one particular group to hear what was being said. And uh, there was maybe two or three people praying in this small group, and there was a woman praying, and as she was there in the group, praying with others, a young child came up and started tapping her on the shoulder, and her little boy was quite persistent. She wasn't turning around, she wasn't answering, and he just kept tapping her on the shoulder. You know the way kids do, he just persistent. He wanted something from his mom. All of a sudden, she turned around and said, can't you see that we're talking to God? And it almost took me aback. I mean, she said it so loud I could hear it from where I was sitting. I thought to myself, what kind of message is she sending to this young kid? Is she putting a fear in him that God's going to get you if you're not as reverent as I think you should be? Other times we send a message by way, the way we live our life. We profess a, a belief in Jesus Christ. We profess to be Christians, but there's no evidence of that in our lives. And so it's important to examine ourselves from time to time. Is there anything allowing in my life that's a contradiction to the gospel? And if so, the solution is repentance and relying upon the grace of God that is in the message of the gospel. May God help us to do that. This week, here at the Summer Block Party, we have got a remarkable opportunity to um, live our lives before hundreds of children, many of whom have not been in this church before. And they're going to observe not just the words that are said in the Bible studies and when the crafts are done and when the leaders on stage are singing songs and leading them in worship and teaching them. They'll learn by that. 
but they'll also learn by the lives of the adults or students who are leading them around the different stations as they watch us interact with each other, and they're always learning, just like they do in our homes, you know. And so I want to ask one of our Summer Block Party leadership team members, Lauren Morrison, to come up now. And um, this microphone three. And lead us in prayer for not only the children, but the volunteers and what's done here, that uh, many of these children will come to faith in Jesus. You got your, there you go. Sorry about that. Hi, I have been honored and blessed to serve as a volunteer in some capacity for nine years, which is crazy to me. And I want to take a minute just to recognize each of you who are volunteering in some capacity this year, whether it's for a few hours or whether it's every night or whether it's been behind the scenes. If you could stand, if you are a part of Summer Block Party this year as a volunteer, go ahead, be proud. <laughs> Thank you so much. And as Pastor Beatty said, I um, am particularly thankful for the volunteers because my son was one of those children that Pastor Beatty mentioned last year at the end of block party. He decided that he was ready to be baptized. And I will also say as a volunteer that it has strengthened my faith over nine years and has developed my spiritual maturity in ways that I can't imagine. And to be completely transparent, standing on a stage getting ready to pray in public in front of adults would have been impossible for me nine years ago. And I can say it's the power and the grace of Jesus and his work through block party in my faith that has gotten me on here. So please bow with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for rescuing us from our sins and from our struggles. And thank you for the assurance that you are always with us. Thank you for the children you are bringing to River Oaks and for the provision of volunteers that are ready to be vessels of your love and your care. And thank you for each of the gifts that you have given each volunteer and that they will be able to use those gifts in the way that you have designed to show these children your love and your care. And we know that you have great plans for Block Party this year as children and adults are going to hear the message that when they are lonely, when they struggle, when they sin, and when they feel powerless, that you, Jesus, you rescue. Please protect us this week for the volunteers and the children so they will be able to come and hear that message with open hearts and minds. Please speak to each child in exactly the way that they need to hear it from your truth to know and to understand how deeply you love them and that what Jesus' death on the cross means to each one of us. And we ask that you enable each child in our outreach group to feel welcomed and to feel cared for, to arrive here safely and to return home excited about what they have learned about Jesus' love for them. And please do a mighty work in all of the hearts of our volunteers and strengthen their own faith as a result of serving. And finally, Lord, please empower us to honor and glorify your name through demonstrating the gospel, through the fun and the excitement that Block Party is going to hold. And thank you for the amazing work that you have already done and what you are going to do in the days ahead. And we ask all of this in the almighty power of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lauren. And thanks again to all of you on the leadership team who have done such a phenomenal job.